raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer right over there with a special guest on the WIBC hotline. Tony Kennett is an investigative reporter for the Daily Signal, and he will be having a nightly program here pretty soon at 93 WIBC. Tonus, where the hell are you? Uh, I am in Detroit, Michigan, outside the Ford manufacturing plant. Uh, it's just in it's Wayne, just north of Detroit. And I'm covering the UAW strike here and uh, talking to a lot of people on the ground. And uh, Donald Trump's holding a rally here tonight. So is everybody still just rocking and rolling and fired up after Joe Biden's spirited 12-minute visit yesterday? <laughs> I have found only one type of, of person that, uh, excuse me, there are going to be people shouting scab here in a minute. There's a semi-truck trying to enter the plant. Uh-oh. Um, they're Uh-oh. blocking the roads. However... Uh, no, everyone that I've talked to, except for very skinny old white men who looked like they work in accounting, was very unimpressed with Joe Biden. And I mean, every other demographic period, um, white, black, Hispanic, anyone that I've talked to just could not stand Biden showing up at a plant that wasn't even the big Ford plant around and basically babbling that he liked workers and then was quietly shuttled away to the basement again. Didn't Joe Biden once campaign on the fact that he was basically going to, like you said, destroy the gas power automotive industry, and now he's there pretending like he cares about it? Yeah, the Biden administration has signed an initiative pledging the United States will allow no more gas-powered car purchases by 2035. And uh, I don't know if you guys know how that works, but that means that gas-powered auto plants would be shut down. And those don't just pop up like tent cities overnight. You can't just, like, snap your fingers and have more electric vehicle plants, especially when we're only 12 years away from that deadline. So this is going to be a lot of people out of work. And people on the picket line, by the way, they know that. They hate those policies. So you were there tonight to cover the big speech that Donald Trump is giving these auto workers. Now, we've already heard that the UAW union head, Sean Fain, he's against this. He hates Donald Trump with the passion of a million fires. What are some of the folks on the ground saying? Uh, I talked to a a, a nice lady this morning who said, you know, uh, Trump's an a-hole. But boy, when he was in office, I was making a lot of money. And so I don't know uh, that we've spoken to anyone yet that is going to his rally tonight. I think they would be a little afraid to probably say that in the open, say that in public. Um, We've had a lot of people off camera who have said very positive things about Trump. Uh, A lot of interesting things like in Detroit, very concerned about immigration, economic policy, of course, energy and oil. And uh, honestly, I think that's more of I think that's impressing people far more that Trump is coming here. He sent pizzas. Uh, There are a bunch of boxes that say from Donald Trump on them. So he's delivered food to the picket line. Listen, Michigan is a swing state, and I know Detroit is very blue, and unions usually vote straight Democrat. But is there a chance here that Donald Trump could go out there and say, look, I'm Mr. The Art of the Deal. Let's figure out a way to make all of this work, but you got to vote me back into office. I think that Trump's more likely to get up there and say, when I was in office, there weren't any strikes because everyone was working and happy. (laughs) And all of the union people are going to look at each other and go, where's the lie? Where's the lie? I mean, yeah, he said some mean tweets, but there was money in my pocket. There was food on the table. There was gas in my American-made car. 
And that means a lot in Rust Belt towns. I, look, I grew up, my dad was a UAW guy for 10 years. All my family worked in Dana. And uh, left-wing policies sent those businesses to Mexico. And I tell you what, those factory worker men and women, they do not forget when the times are good, and they sure as hell don't forget when the times are bad. Tony Kennett, Daily Signal, covering the strike up in Detroit, the auto unions there. What exactly are you seeing right now? Is it like the standard uh, people with holding up signs and walking around in circles and blocking the entrances to the buildings and things like that? Yeah, uh, empty parking lots, a lot of delivery semis are being like blocked temporarily as they kind of shove their way through. That's why you hear, if you hear it in the background, a lot of people shouting scab is because a few delivery drivers are attempting to get through. What I'm seeing mostly, though, is just a, a group of people who feel they've been given the short end of the stick. And, you know, you and I can sit here and parse, you know, some of the things that the, UA, uh, the UAW leadership has been asking uh, is a little wild, like a four-day work week, things like that, that a lot of people on the ground don't think is what they're striking over. Uh, but what I'm seeing here is a lot of people in the Midwest – who are honestly tired of a bunch of policy that doesn't work for them. Uh, they're tired of some really screwy subsidy crony nonsense that's been going on uh, in the Biden relationships, or excuse me, the uh, Obama-Biden relationship with the auto manufacturers as far back as 2008. But here's the thing that I'm wondering, Tony, and I don't know if you have any information on this or not. Like here in Indianapolis, people will always say Joe Hogsett's doing a horrible job. His polling number is bad. But every election, he will win with 60% of the vote because Indianapolis is 60% Democrat. And people would rather vote for that D next to somebody's name than rather understand what's going on. I kind of feel right. like this could be the thing happening with the auto workers. You're right. Right. Those people up there will say, I had more money in my pocket when Donald Trump was the president. But when the rubber meets the road, it feels like they're going to vote for the same crap. I mean, you're not wrong. Uh, I will point out that when it comes to the presidential election, you had a lot of people in 2016 who voted straight blue until they got to the presidency. And then they voted for Donald Trump. Now, I, I don't know if you're going to see that again. Uh, you have a lot of different commentary on whether this is a referendum on Biden or whether this is a referendum on Trump or on January 6th or Hill or whatever. And I, I'm not intelligent enough or all-knowing enough by far to tell you how some auto worker in Detroit is going to vote based on if he thinks that the presidency is worth this or that or the other. All I can tell you is that on the ground this morning, I have not heard a single person say, boy, am I excited to vote for Biden again. Not one. And I've been asking. Hey, go back to something you briefly touched on just a second ago. What do the people on the ground you've talked to, the people that are on strike, um, think of the demands of the union? Do they think that a uh, 40 percent increase and a four day work week is reasonable or do they understand that this is a negotiation and, and possibly that doesn't that, that's not going to be the ultimate outcome? Well, yeah, a lot of people say, obviously, you know, they're asking for, you know, you, you shoot for the moon. So you land among the stars or whatever that stupid elementary teacher poster on every classroom. <laughs> is. You know, that, you, you ask for more so that you get about what you want. And, yeah, there's a lot of that. I will say that some of the things that I've heard from people think that uh, goodness, there was one gentleman that told us that he thought that the union leaders on TV were acting like a bunch of uh, prisses and a bunch of, and I quote, girls in skirts, whatever that means. Um, just okay. asking for a, a bunch of, I didn't know what it meant either, but he was on a roll, so I let him go. It just really annoyed with kind of 
over asking and making them look greedy. Hmm. He's like, look, he's like, I, I've, in the last eight years, I've had a raise of $3. He's like, I think that it would be a little bit better if we had a better system than that. And, and that sounded more reasonable to me than, you know, saying I want a 40% raise and I want a four-day work week and I want back rubs by a lady named Jean and, like, all this <laughs> other nonsense. Like, come on. So, Tony, there's a debate tonight, GOP debate. Again, Donald Trump will not be there. He's speaking in Michigan. You're covering it. But do you think anything could be said during this debate tonight from any one of the seven candidates on stage that would resonate with the folks you see picketing outside right now? Nope. Nope. Not a thing. And by the way, I, I there is a candidate that is on that stage that I have personally supported for, for a majority of the primary. And I think is a, a very good governor and, and a really good guy. Um, and one of the guys on that stage was the guy who appointed me to West Point. And I kind of like him, too, as a person, not as a politician. But nothing that they could say would matter. Nothing. They are all irrelevant at this point. Uh, just like Mike Braun secured himself the governorship of Indiana when he said that he endorsed Trump. I, it, I'm telling you, the populists are out in full force, and Trump is the only one who matters in the primary right now. And you can say what you'd like, but the data that I'm seeing on the ground doesn't lie DeSantis maybe has some pullout power to bring people to the primary polls, but when I say it's nowhere near enough, I mean an ice cube in a lake compared to people that are going to be coming out to vote for Trump in the primary. I'm looking at this headline from our news partners at Wish TV. John Green, the author of The Faults of Our Stars, he's going to be part of some Indianapolis panel about banned books. I guess there's a banned books week, and he's going to be part of the panel involved in this, Tony. I know education and all that kind of stuff falls under your wheelhouse, so I'm curious as to what you think. Well, as excited as I am to tell you guys what I think about an author who writes novels for teen girls, um, I, I guess I can say I'm hoping he finds a book that's actually been banned. I've been told for years about these the banned books. Oh, they're so banned. Where are they? What are these banned books? They're not. I, I can go to Barnes & Noble and pick up any of these right now. I can go to Amazon.com and pick up any of, these, any of these books right now, including the ones that contain images that should not be taxpayer-funded in kids' libraries at public schools, like genderqueer, for example. John Green is very upset because the big, mean, bad conservatives over on the Hamilton Eastern Public Library Board decided to move Fault in Our Stars due to uh, a standard on references to sex from the teen section to the adult section, a whopping 32 and a half feet in the building. So it wasn't banned in any way. It wasn't like taken outside, thrown into a dumpster and set on fire. The man is so tired of not being relevant. He's so desperate for people to pay attention to him that he has taken this in stride and he's yelling. And all of the teen girls that loved his books that are now baristas in Starbucks all around the country, they're like, oh, John Green, I, my heart breaks for you. Oh, my God, you're so brave. And I'm just looking at this as a former educator and just laughing at the sheer absurdity of him being treated with relevance. I also do love, and, and I'm just going to be honest, I think all of the news agencies that are writing stories about him being on some kind of panel like this is, oh, he's on, he's going to sit on a panel. Ooh, it's just the local affiliate television media so desperate for people to watch their shows again in the evening that they're putting attention on stories like this. Like, oh, man, if Channel 13 says John Green's going to be somewhere, maybe someone will watch Channel 13 instead of their viewership crashing like it has over the last decade. But 
but adjacent to this is the fact that I mean, do, did you agree with the with the decision to move of the Fault in Our Stars from the the teen section to the adult section when it was just sort of a sort of a benign thing that was in that book in the first place? I mean, I know what you're saying about John Green. I understand it, but the, but the decision that it was kind of unneeded or unnecessary do you think oh yeah that's that's the catch i I completely disagreed with the decision i thought it should stay in the team section but that's again that's why i think that the point that i'm making here has grounds because even i who disagree with the decision and i thought that particular application of that standard was a little goofy still thinks that we're making literally mountains out of these teeny tiny molehills here it was moved okay great so replace the library board the next election and move the book 30 feet back this isn't the end of the world. The book wasn't set on fire in the parking lot. But at the same time, I want to go back to your angle to begin with here. We're treating John Green like all of a sudden it's Leonardo DiCaprio or George Clooney or some major A-lister that people will follow wherever they go. And man, I just don't know if the, the star power, if you want to call it that, is there with John Green. I know. And by the way, if you've looked at him in the last couple of years, I, okay, I, I, his brother ran an education channel that made a lot of videos. And I, I used to watch a, a good portion of those videos. And he's, he looks a lot different than he used to. Um, he's kind of starting to enter his creepy old man era, which, you know, a lot of authors kind of get right teen literature tend to look like creepy old men. That's I, I that entered is. that era about uh, five years ago. Uh, <laughs> See, I knew you I mean. would understand. Instead, you're busy throwing up on 93 WIDC. <laughs> Heard that yesterday, did you? <laughs> My grandmother did and called me immediately. Fantastic. Love it. Okay. Well, Tonus, keep us up to date tonight <laughs> on everything going on in Detroit with the strike and the protesters and Donald Trump's speech and the inevitable protesters that will be there. Where can we follow your work? You should be following me on Twitter at the Tonus. And you can also follow me on Instagram at Tonus McFly. I need to like make my social media usernames a little easier to follow. <laughs> Tony Kennett, Daily Signal. You're the best. We'll talk soon. Thanks, guys. This is the Hammer and Nigel Show. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.